It's Thursday, May 12th, 2022, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and the balance of power here in America and around the free world. I am Jonathan Mavroides, senior writer at the Hoover Institution, and I'm sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism, so that he can answer questions and provide commentary about California policy and politics in which he's well-versed. Bill Whalen, in addition to being a Washington Post columnist, writes weekly for Hoover's California On Your Mind web channel, and edits and publishes Eureka, a quarterly forum featuring analysis and commentary from Hoover scholars and California's top thinkers. Whalen is joined today by Leo Hanian, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Professor of Economics and Director of the Edinger Family Program in Macroeconomic Research at the University of California, Los Angeles. Ohanian also writes twice per week about the policy environment of the Golden State for California on your mind. Uh, Good day, gentlemen. Let's talk about the developments in policy and politics in the Golden State. Um, On Friday, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom will revise, uh, called the May Revise, his January budget which has been updated based on April's tax revenue and an expected massive surplus. Uh, Gentlemen, a few questions on this. There are a lot of big issues to address, uh, including homelessness uh, and record gas prices, to name a few. What exactly does government Newsom, what do you you think that government Newsom wants to do here? And what do the Democrats and the California legislature want to do? And how will Republicans react to that in terms of their own agenda? Well, Jonathan, um, so, so the this is a bit of an awkward podcast. Our listeners should know because we're doing this a day before the um, the May revise is being unveiled. Um, so we're speculating here, but um, safe to say that uh, the surplus, which could be sixty eight billion dollars, it could be less, it could be more. But if it's sixty eight billion dollars, there are probably sixty eight billion ideas in Sacramento as to how to spend that extra money. Um, We'll get to what the governor wants to do. If you look around the town, though, um, you go to the state Senate president, Tony Atkins. Uh, she wants to spend uh, money for uh, low and moderate income families to buy their first home in California, which she calls California Dream for All. Uh, the California League of Cities wants to spend about a billion and a half for housing, economic development, organic waste cycling. Uh, there's a group called California's United for Responsible Budget. They want to close 10 state prisons. So there's an interesting idea at the time when crime is a problem in California. Uh, our friends at the California School Boards Association, you can pretty much guess what they want to do with the extra money. Lee and Jonathan, drum roll, please. They want to spend more money on schools and facilities, um, especially teachers' pensions and also expanded universal transitional kindergarten. Uh, let's briefly go through what uh, legislative Republicans want to do. Not that it really matters because they don't have much of a say in this as they don't have the votes. Um, Tony Atkins, who is the, excuse me, not uh, Tony Atkins, uh, the uh, Senate Republicans put out a list the other day. They want a full gas tax holiday, which would come out of the uh, surplus. They want uh, lower costs for renters. I think it's a thousand dollar credit for uh, uh, spouses filing joint returns. Uh, they want to um, uh, add more money to uh, the uh, government paying down its uh, debt for job creators. Um, the state still owes about $18 billion in unemployment uh, 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 debt following the pandemic shutdowns. Uh, Newsom has kind of inched along this way. His budget has $3 billion to spend on this. Some legislative Democrats want to spend as much as seven and a quarter billion. Uh, legislative Republicans want to keep spending on that. Uh, there's a whole separate story here on how far behind EDD is on, on pandemic claims, by the way. Uh, what else do uh, Republicans want to do? They want to put more money into water storage. They want to uh, put more money into mental health and substance abuse needs. Um, they want to create a California student tax credit and so on and so forth. So everybody has an idea how to spend. So now we turn to the governor who gets to make the first move on this. Um, what caught my eye here, Lee and Jonathan, this will probably get a lot of the headlines when he does this. Uh, the governor um, had previously a $68 million, what he calls a reproductive health package. This is abortion. And in the aftermath of um, 
the um, the leak of the uh, the anticipated Supreme Court ruling, uh, his $68 million plan is now up to $125 million. Uh, he would like to uh, do several things, one of which caught my eye here is he wants to create incentives for businesses to relocate to California, in his words, in his words quote, from states with anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ plus laws. This is the governor once again kind of going after Florida and Texas and red states that he doesn't like. So, Lee, this is what's kind of got me thinking at this hour. Okay, let's say that California wants to attract businesses. That's not as simple as just wetting your finger in the wind and testing the, you know, which way the political breezes are blowing. For businesses, it's a complicated decision. If you move from California to Austin, for example, you're not just doing it because you like Texas's politics or maybe you have a hankering for Texas barbecue. You look at a lot of things before you move. And here's the question for California, Lee, if I'm a business uh, thinking about coming here. I would look at California's tax climate and I'd ask myself in the midst of the $68 billion surplus, what is the state doing in terms of giving money back to businesses, giving money back to individuals? Is it doing anything in the way of tax relief, tax reform? Second thing I'd look at, Lee, would be housing, not just for businesses, but also my workers. You know, is it, can, I, can we set up a business and have it affordable to live nearby? I'd look at the local schools for my workers. I would look at public safety. I would look at infrastructure. But then finally, Lee, what I would look at would be homelessness for two reasons. Number one, this is a genuine problem if you want to be in a city. Let's say you want to move to San Francisco. Do you really want to have your workers in an environment where there's homelessness all over the place? That's you know both detrimental to the business. It's also kind of a morale killer. But also, Lee, it's a metaphor for California government and what it cannot do. Homelessness having been kicked around in various ways in California for almost the past half century, going back to Diane Feinstein in San Francisco. So, Lee, this kind of sets up what you wrote about this week in California on your mind about homelessness. If I'm a business outside of California and I'm looking at California, I look at homelessness, what am I going to come to the conclusion of? Yeah, Bill, you know, when, when you mentioned how do you attract businesses to a state and, and there's going to be a checklist of, of items you're going to want to look at. And sadly, our state doesn't really come out very well on, on most of those checkoffs, um, most of those checkoffs on, on that list and homelessness would be at the very bottom of the barrel. Um, so California of course has, um, you know, roughly speaking, um, you know, now perhaps close to, a third of the country's homeless um, in a state that that comprises 12% of the of the country's population. So, so California is way overrepresented in homelessness, and we spend enormous amounts of taxpayer money on homelessness. Um, and uh, and you know it's hard to come away with any inclusion other than. Um, a metaphor of uh, spending money on homelessness in California is like throwing gasoline on a fire. It seems to make things much worse. Um, and you, so you, you mentioned my California on, on your mind column this week uh, that I wrote. And uh, it, it, there, you know, there's a fascinating uh, and very depressing study that was done by the San Francisco Chronicle newspaper. They spent about a year looking at um, taxpayer funded uh, what's known as a permanent supportive housing for the homeless, which, com- which is comprised of hotels that have basically been converted into housing for the homeless, uh, with the idea being that the homeless go into these hotels, they get a hotel room, and then at some point in the future, they get their lives back together, and then they transition to, to somewhat more independent living. That's, that's, that's the idea. 
And the Chronicle found that, um, I mean, my God, they found uh, a record, a pattern that is just God awful. So within these hotels that are permanent supportive housing that are funded by tax dollars, uh, this is all run by, this is all overseen by the city government who hires private operators to run these ex-hotels as homeless, uh, for the homeless, um, they tracked a number of people who went into these, uh, into these hotels and uh, 25% died. Okay, so, so can you imagine, uh, I mean, th this is what, this is probably 50 times, 100 times more dangerous than going off to war. You go off into one of these homeless hotels and, um, and you know, one out of four chance that the person dies. Um, and then about another 25% simply go back to living on the streets. Um, only 25% would of these people would qualify as anything close to a success story where they're either going off to live with family or friends, or they move on to another type of one of these supportive housing situations. So the Chronicle spent a year looking at, at these issues and what they came away with, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to, to remember the quote, it was a pattern of chaos and desperation and death. Um, despite the fact that San Francisco is spending $1.1 billion in fiscal year 21-22, uh, in the column I wrote that the amount that San Francisco is spending on homelessness is almost as large as the entire city budget of Jacksonville, Florida. The reason I picked Jacksonville, Florida is because Jacksonville has almost uh, the same population as San Francisco, uh, about three or 4,000 more people in Jacksonville than San Francisco. Right. So San Francisco is just spending inordinate uh, amounts on this issue. Um, it's being horribly mismanaged. Um, there appears to be no accountability whatsoever within this system. And you know, the piece closes by saying, you know, why do we continue to get outcomes, political outcomes, government failure outcomes, year after year after year after year uh, within the state regarding homelessness, um, not to pick on San Francisco, but they have spent, I think, close to $3 billion in the last five years. And one can walk through San Francisco and there's no, there's no one who would walk through San Francisco and say, Oh my God. Yeah, I can see where the money's going. I mean, San Francisco is just <clears throat> becoming unlivable in certain neighborhoods. Um, yep. And so the question becomes, when will San Francisco voters demand something better? When will they get tired of virtue signaling and voting for progressive politicians who simply have no interest or no wherewithal or no competency in being able to manage city government? So it's uh, so Bill, in terms of in terms of attracting businesses to California, um, to get back to the original question, mm -hmm. it's going to have to be businesses whose uh, product line is uniquely tailored for California and who are willing to pay the taxes, who are willing to confront the regulations, 
who are willing to pay their workers enough to live in the most expensive state in the contiguous 48. And that's, and there's not that many businesses they're going to qualify. Yeah. And I don't see Lee how California could compete with say Nevada. If you remember back when Nevada, you know, made that incredible offer to Tesla to come build batteries in their state, just, uh, I'd probably want to examine your lawmakers heads if they made the same kind of giveaway that Nevada did on that. But uh, getting back to homelessness for a second, it is an election year, Lee, and you look at the poll and Newsom has a problem, not so much his reelection, but how voters view him on homelessness. He, there was a poll done by UC Berkeley's Institute of Government Studies back in uh, February, Lee and Jonathan. And uh, overall, Newsom had kind of a 50-50 split among voters on his job performance. He'll get reelected with that. But you look inside that poll, they asked voters about uh, homelessness. Two-thirds of the respondents in that poll gave him a failing mark on homelessness. And for you know Newsom, who remember when he's mayor of San Francisco, that was his calling card when he ran for mayor way back then. He was very, very novel in offering something called care, not cash. He wanted to kind of get tough on, on homelessness in San Francisco, not just give money away. Uh, you look inside his budget this year, Leah, and I see something interesting here. Uh, back in January, he wanted to put $50 million dollars uh, into cleaning up campsites around California. He's now asked the legislature to spend $500 million on cleaning up campsites. So I think this maybe shows it's not just an election year, but maybe this shows the governor acknowledging the public's frustration where instead of just kind of, you know, setting up hotels and, and, you know, talking about shelter, now you're actually getting to the voters frustration, which with the ugliness of the situation. Yeah. I, I know that, there's enormous pressure on legislators and then that pressure goes up to the governor's office and among Democrats as well. There's just enormous pressure from voters about homelessness Um, as homelessness becomes an issue in almost every major California city now. And from tent encampments um, to public safety issues um, to to remarkable increases in property crimes, such as, um, you know, car break-ins and and, and theft from cars. Um, uh, Interesting enough, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine called me and said he he is uh, he is friends with. The person, I don't remember the exact title, uh, the, the title that per, the person has, but he is basically the director of everything that needs to be fixed in the USPS, United States Postal Service, within San Francisco. And apparently, if he's driving uh, a USPS uh, vehicle, um, he will take it and he will park in San Francisco. If for some reason he is in his own car, he simply will not, he simply will not park anywhere in San Francisco. So yeah, there's enormous amount of political pressure. And um, and so yeah, so finally, finally, after over a decade, the idea is to say, let's spend $500 million and clean up tent cameras. And then the and then the question becomes, well, okay, what do you do with these people who've now you've taken away their tents and you've taken away their shopping carts? And Bill, you mentioned um, the Republican wish list for the budget. Um, And you also mentioned that they're not going to be paid attention to. But I got to say that, you know, the Republicans have been out in front of trying to come up with constructive solutions, which is to recognize that in California, homelessness is primarily it is primarily a mental health and drug abuse issue. It is not about people who suddenly one day find the house has been pulled out from under them and they have nowhere to live. Um, 
Roughly two thirds of people, according to estimates, who are homeless, chronically homeless, certainly maybe closer to 90%, are suffering from mental health and drug abuse uh, issues. And um, one of the reasons why we continue to spend so much money and we get so little in return is that the state hasn't functionally confronted the idea that we need treatment facilities, we need treatment personnel. And California is 49th in number of beds per capita in psychiatric facilities and is 49th in terms of mental health professionals, including nurses um, within the country. So the Democrats would <laughs> the Democrats would do well to listen to Republicans, but um, of course they never do. And we therefore keep having these conversations about billions spent and nothing in return. So Lee, you took the high road and you wrote about homelessness and an issue of serious concern to the public. And I took the low road this week on California on your mind. And I wrote about something very selfish in the world of Bill Whalen, which was the check that Bill Whalen got from the state controller this week, my state income tax refund, a whopping $2.00. I kid you not, folks. $2, no cents. Uh, if we were doing this on video, I could wave the check in front of you. I was joking before this. That I'm thinking about getting it framed because what do you do with a check for $2 and what do you do with $2 in this day and age? Um, but it does beg the question, Lee and Jonathan, of what is coming your way in the way of a refund with $68 billion or whatever to come back. And here, uh, Lee, things get very kind of complicated for the governor. We think that Everything is kind of harmonious in Sacramento because it's a a dominant uh, Democratic legislature and a Democratic governor. Uh, But here they differ. Uh, Now, the governor wants to give away $400 uh, if you have a registered vehicle, a maximum of $800 um, per individual. The legislature, on the other hand, wants to give adults, children, and dependents $200 a piece, and they've already means tested it. So if you make over $125,000, you are out of luck. Uh, So there are two issues here. Number one is who's going to get their way, the governor when it comes to cars, or is it going to be the lawmakers when it comes just to inhabitants of California? But then the second question, gentlemen, is let's say they come to a compromise or one of the two wins out. How is the money given back to Californians? And here, Lee, the options are not very pleasant. The legislature wants to do it vis-a-vis the Franchise Tax Board, the same entity in California that handles your tax refunds. Um, They are currently swamped right now dealing with both tax returns, but also COVID returns. I think there's something like uh, 20,000 COVID claims that they're still dealing with. Uh, The governor, on the other hand, he wants to go to an outside agency to work with DMV and issuing debit cards. Now, the governor thinks he could get you the money by August. The governor also thinks the legislature, if it has its way, will not get you money until October. It does say this about California state government. It's not AAA. If you're waiting for roadside assistance, you're going to die waiting for roadside assistance. (laughs) You're not going to help till October. But Lee, do you have much confidence in state government actually, A, coming up with a sensible idea here, but B, getting it in your hands anytime soon? And then on top of that, let's appeal to your inner economist. The idea is to give Leo Hanian and Jonathan Monroides and maybe even Bill Whalen money so they can pay with gasoline. Um, do we deserve that money? And if we get a debit card, are we really going to spend it on gasoline? And is that going to some roundabout way kind of you know cause more inflation in California? Well, Bill, you know um, the the news story that the surplus could be as high as sixty eight billion. It really reminds me of that uh, of that old movie um, with Gene Wilder, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where. The kids go inside the chocolate factory, and with the exception of Charlie, they're just a bunch of selfish, greedy <laughs> uh, kids running roughshod through this remarkable, you know, this remarkable 
factory of candy that uh, June Wilders created. And their parents are very similar to this. Um, so th- it, it reminds me of this uh, this old movie where everybody has their hand at. And, and you alluded to that earlier in the show right. about all the different groups who I want this and here's how much I want. And um, you know, when we think about Newsom, um, you know, I guess it really is is personality, but he just can't keep thinking about taking snipes at Texas and Florida. Right. And yeah, it, and, and we when we talk frequently about hey, is he is he is he running is he running for for president in 2024? He just simply can't stay focused on on really sensibly sensibly spending um, the surplus. Uh, and, you know, when I think about this from the standpoint of economics, um, there are enormous deferred maintenance issues that, that come up with roads and water infrastructure um, that not only merit investment because they're failing, but because of, you know, public safety issues. A few years ago, we had the dam at Lake Oroville uh, breached, be breached. Um, and um, I can't remember the number of people who had to be evacuated. But anyway, long story short, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on fixing that um, when it could have been as little as 10 million to prevent the breach uh, originally. So when I look at these discussions, as an economist, when I look at these questions and the demands, uh, and and the ideas, including Newsom, um, what you come away with is I, I, I wish people would just sit down and actually think about what the priority areas are and how to, in a fiscally reasonable way, ad- address those. Um, so when we look at the gas tax, um, you know, Kevin Kiley, I think, had the best idea that would have made a difference, you know, months ago. Hey, just, hey, we suspend the gas tax and right. um, we use the general fund to backfill it and boom, that's it. And instead, we have month after month goes by where people are spending, um, you know, build it, you know, where I live, I'm, I'm filling up on medium grade at $6.50 um, a gallon. And when I pull up to the pump, I'm seeing, you know, the previous customer having spent over $100 uh, on that uh, on that purchase. And so when you ask me, hey, well, you know, do I trust the state government to get these checks out or these debit cards um, in late summer or fall? You know, Bill, you're a baseball fan. It's kind of like sending up a, uh, a pitcher to be a pinch hitter. We know they're not going to get a hit. Uh, so why are we doing this? Why would we? Why would we think that the franchise tax board? Why would we think the franchise tax board would do a good job with this? Uh, why would we think you know, any of the state bureaucracies, um, which completely underperform every year, why would we think they would do a good job with this? Um, and that's why I like Kylie's suggestion, which was, hey, you know what? We program the gas. We program the gas pumps. It'll take about one minute to program those, and voila, people get some relief. Um, so this is uh, this. I, I, so when you say, "Well, people get money back," Bill, what, whether it's uh, you or me, or whether we're left out of that discussion, um, I'm willing to bet a lot of money if Vegas had a line on this that this will not happen in the year 2022. 
Yeah. So wherever this podcast, I'd got to give a governor a little credit. At least he's willing to think about doing something creative in terms of at least having an outside agency come in and work with the DMV to process rather than just trusting state bureaucracy to handle it. Uh, and it's kind of a fascinating episode in lab science to say, OK, I want the legislature to I'm going to give you nine billion dollars. and You're tasked with giving out nine billion dollars to everybody in California who owns a car for relief. But then the lab science comes in, okay, now we're going to have to decide who actually gets the money. And so we're going to look at Lee and Jonathan. We're probably going to look at their income. We may even look at what kind of cars they drive, because under the Newsom plan, it's not means tested for income. And it's not means tested in terms of what car you drive. So you can drive a guzzler, you can drive a Tesla, you would get the money back. So I just imagine the legislature in infinite wisdom will just take the Newsom plan and just try to just dumb it down, if you will, just put kind of every means test into it, pretty much guaranteeing that three people on this podcast, a lot of other people listening will not see a dime of this money. Um, and that's kind of what's staggering. That's what got me on the road about writing about the, the crummy little $2 rebate. It may be all that I see in these rather flush economic times in California in terms of uh, money back from the states. So there you go. But um, we'll see. It's a May Revise is a fascinating time in California. I can tell you having worked in the governor's office, uh, you scramble like crazy in January to get the budget out, to get your state of the state speech out and kind of set the agenda. And then what goes on for the next few months is kind of the uh, the sitzkrieg, as they called it in the, the early part of World War II, where there's really not much fighting going on. The both sides kind of look at each other. Then the May Revise comes out, and now they're suddenly on a very short uh, glide between now and July 1st to get the budget done and things get seriously. So be curious to see what the governor has to say and what other ideas come up. Bill, is, are we looking at... Um... Are we looking at a budget that's getting close to $300 billion now? I think that would probably be close to $300 billion, if not over it. And there's also the question of how the GAN limit would kick in, not to get too nerdy on this podcast. Yeah. The GAN limit uh, means the state can only spend so much extra revenue. It has to go back to taxpayers. But now we get into a very complicated formula of when the actually gets in. And when you start watering this down per 14 or 18 million Californians eligible, it means Lee and Jonathan and Bill are seeing kind of nickels and dimes instead of dollars. That, no, that's right. And Bill, um, you know, what's happened the last few days um, is well, what, what we've seen in the stock market the last few days is just horrible news for California. Yes. Because, you know, as we talked about before, um, roughly that, you know, not, not the top 1%, but the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of taxpayers in California, you know, a few thousand people are paying personal tax bills in seven figures. Um, and why they remain, why they remain as, as residents here, I am not sure. But nevertheless, about the top one-tenth percent pay about 25% of California's personal income tax. Right. Um, and a lot of that money comes from capital gains um, right. on, on equity sales. And so what we've seen the last few days is large drops in the value of stocks. And every time this happens, and there's not one counterexample, every time this happens, California ends up having much, much less tax revenue because of over-reliance on the very top income taxpayers whose income is concentrated uh, oftentimes in capital gains. So you know that's not going to be a point of discussion, uh, uh, sadly, among um, those who are making these decisions. It really should be, and economists, um, including including Stanford's Mike Boskin, who uh, who is in Hoover as well as Department of Economics, and who has advised an awful lot of politicians, raising from Arnold Schwarzenegger um, to uh, to George Bush Senior and George Bush Junior. Um, we fight tooth and nail for making reforms in the tax 
paying process. Uh, for decades, we get turned down. But what this means is there, you know, the chance of having a budget crisis becomes much more real. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see what else happens in the markets. But yeah. it's not looking good given current inflation numbers and given current economic growth numbers. This is a great point, Lee. If you look at Apple, for example, um, here we're doing this uh, after the markets closed on uh, Thursday the 12th. Apple is at $142. Its value, it's lost about 17% of its value in the past couple of weeks, just in this downturn in the market. So that affects the California budget in terms of revenue next year in a bearish market. Are people going to sell stocks or sit on them? I suspect they'll sit on them, Lee. They won't sell. And so that's less capital gains. But the other effect, Lee, is inflation and interest rates and market and the housing market in California. And are we going to see housing values increase? Are we going to see people buying houses or not buying houses because of interest rates and also not having disposable income? And that ties into the California budget as well, because that's another form of the capital gains when you sell your house. So you're right, Lee, this could have a very crippling effect potentially on the California budget, just as we saw with Arnold Schwarzenegger, just as we saw with Gray Davis, just as we saw with my boss, Pete Wilson. And it's a that's a funny thing. You know, uh, Newsom did experience hardship briefly, though, with the pandemic. Jerry Brown, on the other hand, he walked in in 2011. He had hardship for about a year, and then the economy took off, and he had about seven very good budget years, as I remember correctly. So, yeah, Newsom could have a real problem on his hands a year from now if, uh, if indeed, uh, the capital gains uh, well dries up for California. And we'll all be kind of sitting around here thinking, my God, we had $68 billion a year ago. What happened? What happened? Yeah, where'd that sixty-eight billion go? It just—it was here now, and now it's gone. Um, you know, Bill. The when you think about the economy, there's really there's really three points to consider. Um, there's the rate of inflation, uh, which is extremely high, so over eight percent. Um, there is uh, how many more potential jobs can be created, and if we look at the number of people who've come back from the pandemic. There's still maybe in the entire country, there's still maybe about a million uh, gap. Um, so is there room still to grow to get back to, you know, kind of normal levels of labor force participation? Yeah, a little bit, but not a whole lot. Right. And then the third piece of information. So inflation, job creation, both of those um Inflation is terrible right now. Job creation is going to take a very, very bad turn here in the next couple, after another month or two. And then productivity growth, uh, which comes about from innovations and investments that make our workers more productive. Um, the, first, uh, the first quarter was the worst quarter <laughs> since 1947 in terms of the impact of business investment innovations on productivity growth. It was just awful. So, you know, we're gonna have three strikes here. Um, productivity growth is terrible, inflation is terrible, and job creation is gonna take a sharp turn downwards. So we're, 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 we're um, it's hard to predict recessions, obviously. Uh, if you could, people would make a lot of money on that. Um, but all that said, I haven't seen as likely of a scenario for a recession coming up, you know, within the next five months um, in the last 10 years than I've seen now. Uh, gentlemen, the governor has another uh, crisis on its hand, on his hands, and that's water. Uh, we talked about we talked this, about this a little bit on the on the last podcast that there's a severe drought in Southern California, uh, and that's led the region to impose restrictions on six million locals starting on June 1st. Uh, the outdoor watering will be limited to one day a week for a third of that region and cities and small suppliers will also be 
subject to allocation limits, limits which have exceeded our punishable up to 2,000 per acre foot. Um, we're in a bit of an unusual situation. Uh, the governor's call to reduce water use by 15% has not been heeded to. In March, water use was up 19%. Um, the Associated Press reported this week that Newsom responded on Tuesday by pledging to spend $100 million on a statewide advertising campaign to encourage water conservation and another $200 million to conserve more water in state government by replacing plumbing fixtures and irrigation controls. Um, he also um, is a supporter of a water $1.4 billion water desalination plant that is coming up to vote today before the California Coastal Commission um, because he says when, address, when addressing the the drought to the Bay Area News. We need news group editorial board in April. We need more tools in the dam toolkit. Um, gentlemen, will California's finally listen to Newsom's pleas, you know, after all of this money has been spent? And how will how will they, this proposal for a desalination plant um, square with some of Governor Newsom's environmental supporters? So again, the timing is a little awkward here because as we are doing this podcast, the California uh, Coastal Commission is uh, reviewing uh, this $1.4 billion proposal that you mentioned, Jonathan, by a group called Poseidon Water. Uh, this would uh, build a, a giant uh, seaside plant to convert salt water um, in Huntington Beach. Um, a couple thoughts here. First of all, if the governor is going to spend money on a public relations campaign uh, telling people to please stop using water. Uh, I used to live in Washington and back in the 1980s, uh, the metro subway system uh, desperately was trying to grow its ridership. And they started putting these uh, signs on a rail bridge uh, that was next to the 14th Street Bridge driving into Washington. This is a very congested uh, freeway in the morning and uh, you sit there in traffic and you kind of hate life. And you look over and you see this billboard and say, if you're on the metro, you'd be where you wanted to be already. And somebody would go out and they'd spray paint that thing as soon as it went up and they'd put an eat me or something very mean underneath it. Um, I think that'd be the public reaction to a uh, kind of a lecture from the state on stop using water if it's in billboard form or anything like that. And here's kind of the challenge for Newsom, Lee and Jonathan. It's um, the bully pulpit in Sacramento is, I think, rather overrated. Uh, it's harder for the government uh, governor to go on TV and tell people to stop uh, using water or slow down their water consumption or cut back on their electricity. Californians tend to do what they want to do, especially in their very decided Californian ways. And this ties into what we were talking about with gasoline prices earlier. Californians want to drive. They're not going to they're not going to carpool. They're not going to use public transportation, given the choice of that a personal. It's just it's a very California thing. It's a car culture. And water is very much the same way. I don't know what least situation is down in Santa Barbara with water, but People like to water their lawns. I know the governor will go out and tell people to start building rock gardens in their backyard and things like that, but people want their grass, they want their vegetation. So I think eventually push is going to come to shove here, Lee. Um, the state counties can beg people to stop using water, to use less. Uh, but as we saw in March, voluntary restrictions don't work. So they're going to actually have to mandate this. And then the question is going to be, Lee, enforcing it. And how are you going to enforce it? Are you going to create a a water Nazi force to go around and check people's water meters every day, or people are going to be uh, asked to rat on their neighbors if they're sprinkling. And I'm just kind of be very curious to how overall behavior will change here. I was walking on the Stanford campus yesterday at about four o'clock in the afternoon. 
walked by the football practice field and they were watering it away. And this is while the sun's still up. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure the field needs the water. Maybe it does. I'm not a, I'm not a maintenance guy, but if I'm going to water the lawn, why am I doing it when the sun's still out? Why don't I do it at night when maybe the water will stay on there longer? Anyway, I'm just not sure if California is ready for this kind of behavioral change, unless you actually put a head to California water users, a gun to the head of California water users and say, stop doing this. Lee. Yeah, Bill. Um, the, the, so pe- pe- people aren't going to listen to news, and they're not going to listen to their mirrors. Um, right. So what will have, what will most likely happen, will be some type of restrictions. And then, yeah, how is that going to, how is that going to be enforced? In the past, it's never been enforced very well. And you know, the politics of water. Um, you know, you know, you can, you can go back to the old movie with Jack Nicholson in Chinatown and the Owens uh, was the the Owens River Valley. Um, right. And how all that was sorted out back in the, what, back in the 30s. Um, So politics are incredibly complicated with water. Um, You know, 75% of California water comes from rain and snow in the watersheds north of Sacramento. But 80% of California's water demand comes um, from Southern California. So there's always this difficult political tension within the state about where water lands and where it it winds up. Um, And... You know, urban use, um, it, it, changing urban use is really never going to move the needle because about 50%, uh, roughly 40 to 50% of water use is agriculture. Another 40% is for environmental uses, uh, some of which are federal law and some of which follow state law. And, you know, what Newsom is, uh, is telling us is that you know, we're going to use much more water this year in terms of satisfying our own environmental restrictions because there are uh, streams and rivers and creeks <clears throat> and lakes that are environmentally protected according to California law. And those streams and rivers and creeks and lakes are drying up. So we're going to, use, we're going to be using a lot of water to satisfy those environmental, uh, those environmental uses. And when you get down to, uh, you know, people watering their lawns, that's 10% or less of the entire amount of water that's used within the state. So the idea of saying, hey, I want you to, I want urban users to cut down by 15%. Well, at the end of the day, if everybody did that, which they're not, that doesn't move the needle. That would only reduce water usage by about one and a half percent. And you know, the 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 800 pound gorilla in the room is uh is agriculture. Uh agriculture accounts for about 2% of California income, and they use about 50% of the state's water. Just almond growers, and I'm not picking on almond growers, use about 10% of the state's water. So from the economic aspect, Bill, it's it's really simple. Um, Agriculture users must pay the market price for water. Um, We grow alfalfa hay, livestock feed which is about the thirstiest crop known, <laughs> known to us. Um, and we export an awful lot of that to China. California simply should not be growing alfalfa. And if it didn't receive heavy subsidies, it wouldn't be grown here. So there's an awful lot of, and rice is another example. So there's an awful lot of crops where that's the case. Um, so when you talk about that $68 billion surplus, we could use that to reduce water usage by doing maintenance on water storage and water conveyance facilities. We waste a lot of water because 
those conveyance and storage facilities are in some cases haven't been touched in 40 and 50 years. Um, and we can use some of that, some of the, some of that, um, some of the surplus uh, to buy out farmers and simply say, you know what, these alfalfa fields, uh, we're going to auction these off, um, and the government can support that. But we simply are not going to use, you know, the amount of the amount of water that could be used to say satisfy San Jose, San Jose's demand on a few alfalfa farms. It just makes no economic sense. But the, poli the politics in terms of dealing with farmers um, is obviously complicated and difficult. And so, Bill, where do we wind up? We wind up with a governor telling households, hey, you know what? Um, don't, water don't wash your car. Don't, uh, don't water your lawns. And Bill, I can't remember if I told you this or not, but uh, at my house, we took out our back, we took out our back lawn, we put in, our, we put in synthetic turf. All right. And actually, well, it looks so good. Um, it actually looks like a golf, looks like a golf course fairway. Uh, but between trying to maintain the thing, and it never looked pretty, it never looked very good, and all the clover and dandelions that grow there, uh, you know. So I feel like I've kind of done, <laughs> done my part, but um, it's, but it's a mess. And you know, Bill is. Um, uh, Diane Feinstein years ago, this is years ago, Diane Feinstein, Democrat, said California has not made a major investment in water since the, since the early 1970s right. uh, with the California Water Project. And she's absolutely right. So we're really paying the price of uh, kicking the can down the road, not dealing with these issues for 50 years. And, uh, and, you know, and so it's ironic that the government expects people to stop watering their lawns and watering their roses and washing their cars right. uh, because we don't have as much rainfall anymore. So here again, a little credit to Governor Newsom and that he had a choice here when it came to that desalination plant in Huntington Beach. He could oppose it, which would keep him on the side of environmentalists, which is part of his constituency, or he could break with them and support it. He broke with them and support it. Uh, one other thought about desalination here, it's not a panacea. It's not the cure-all for California's water woes, as some people think. Uh, and people for decades in California have had all sorts of creative ideas between desalination, uh, towing icebergs from the... <laughs> Antarctica and you name it to bring water here. Uh, but what desalination could do is it can fit into a portfolio. And San Diego is a good example of this. This company beside that wants to build the facility in Huntington Beach. They have been at this for about 20 years. They built such a facility in San Diego. And I think Lee and Jonathan at right now accounts for about 10% of that city's water needs. So it's you know, it's part of the answer. It's sort of like an energy portfolio, which would be part green, part fossil, just, you know, so you're not overly extended on one particular entity. So again, we'll see what the Coastal Commission does. And if it allows it to go on, then good for Huntington Beach. And if it doesn't, that kind of shows you the challenges with trying to think outside the box in California, where you run up against the big green machine. Yeah, yeah. You know, desal, um, so I think the state has around, you know, 11 or 12 working desal plants um, mm -hmm. along the coast. And of course, Israel has now become water independent because of enormous use on, on desal. Um, the drawbacks of desal are that it's, uh, it's, it's very expensive, despite the fact that the machinery and the technology is much, much better and, and, and has become less expensive over time. But it's, it's still an expensive way to produce uh, water. And then environmentalists don't like it because um, the byproduct of desal is um, is very brinish discharge back into base, which um, which they're which they're upset about, um, you know. And, and uh, in economics, we always talk about costs and benefits. Um, and something that you know, something that gets my blood pressure up when I think about California government government decisions 
is that just even the idea, even the idea of thinking about costs and benefits, including environmental costs and benefits, never ever crosses the mind of people making these decisions. Um, so yeah, Bill, it's it's interesting Newsom uh, went for that. I, I sort of wonder how much was this that he woke up on a Wednesday morning and said, you know, by gum, we need, you know, we need more, we need more tools in the toolbox. Yeah, we should start doing diesel. And, yeah. and whether if it had been a couple of days later, he would have said, ah, you know, desal, that's really bad for the ocean. That's going to kill a lot of wildlife and damage kelp beds. Yeah, no, we really shouldn't do desal. I, I, I sort of wonder which, uh, was it was it just a fortuitive nature that he woke up one day and he had that idea? And then if it was later in the week, he wouldn't have. But I'm glad he's coming out for it. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm glad he took the political will of of, uh, of angering some of his most important political constituents. Although on the other hand, you know, the Greens are, you know, they're not, there aren't any Republicans that the Greens are going to be rushing out for. Good point. Uh, moving uh, back uh, for a moment to uh, Newsom's uh, place in national politics or position in national politics. We talked about this a little bit. Um, at an appearance at Planned Parenthood near downtown Los Angeles, Governor Newsom faulted the Democratic Party for not doing more to launch a counteroffensive in the culture war against conservatives in light of the uh, leak leak draft Supreme Court opinion uh, that would overturn Roe versus Wade. He said, quote, where is the Democratic Party? Why aren't we standing up more firmly, more more resolutely? Why aren't we calling this out? We sit there 24-7 taking it from the misinformation rage machine on the right. Republicans are winning. Um, the question here, does it do good for, for, uh, politically for Newsom to rage against conservatives? Or would he do better to stay quiet and tout any action uh, on crisis in the state, uh, like, like what we talked about, water, gas prices, and homelessness? And take it a step further, will Democrats in red or purple states want to campaign with someone who's so firmly entrenched uh, as a left-wing culture warrior as they are facing a likely onslaught from conservatives this November. Bill? So should he stick to the day job? Yes. Uh, should he stay out of other states' affairs? He seems to spend an awful lot of time focused on Florida, focused on Texas, focused on Tennessee when it has school curriculum issues and so forth. Um, he seems to watch way too much Fox News because almost every week he takes a shot at Fox News on something. Um yeah, focus on your gov uh, job, Governor. And what got him in trouble here was um, he made these comments, as you mentioned, a press conference right after the uh, the uh, political report on the Supreme Court draft ruling on abortion, and he launched uh, into um, the shortcomings of his of the National Party. Uh, then this got uh, thrown back at Nancy Pelosi when she went on Face the Nation a few days later, and was taken a little out of context the way it was presented to her. She thought it was very personal at him vis-a-vis -vis abortion, and she pushed back, but suddenly he got these big splashy headlines that Pelosi is upset with Newsom, and they're both obviously San Franciscans and in very tight circles, so it's news in that regard. Um, I look at it um, two ways. Number one, the governor, I don't think, really appreciates the situation in Washington versus his situation, and you just saw this uh, yesterday with the Senate's failure to pass a, um, a, uh, a bill codifying Roe v. Wade. Uh, it failed, and it failed because not all Democrats were on board. They, uh, Joe Manchin didn't vote for it. Newsom probably launched a Joe Manchin, of course, after this happened. Uh, this is not the California state legislature where you have supermajorities of Democrats. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do and let some Democrats walk. It's a tightrope instead for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, so that's number one. Um, but secondly, I'm not sure that Newsom quite understands or appreciates um, the problems with the California ways, he calls it, uh, or he go into another state and campaign. Well, candidates want to come to California. Absolutely. Why? M-O-N-E-Y. 
They will come to Los Angeles and San Francisco and tap into the vaunted ATM and pretty much leave in the dead of the night, lest they be seen as Californians. But you ask an interesting question, Jonathan. Let's look at the Ohio Senate race where Tim Ryan, a congressman, is the Democratic nominee. He is trying his best to stay away from the National Party if he can. He is not going to have Gavin Newsom come in and campaign on California issues in Ohio. That's just death. And that's that's a challenge for Newsom as a national candidate moving forward, if indeed he does have his eye on 2024 or 2028. Um, there are certain things that he can do um, that play very well inside democratic circles. The uh, the money I mentioned on abortion, for example, uh, making uh, California an abortion sanctuary state, much like it, California being an immigration sanctuary state. Um, that's all great in democratic primaries and caucuses, but it's a real problem when it comes to the business of trying to collect 270 electoral votes. And so I don't think the governor quite understands the gravity of this and maybe Maybe he needs to kind of button it up. And we'll see this going forward this summer. This is one of the downsides, I think, to having a surplus, having money to spend, not being bogged down with real problems in California, at least not giving them the attention you should. You get too much involved in other states' business. And so, yeah, in a better world, the governor would just pull back and just focus purely on California. You know, um, Gavin's going to be Gavin. (laughs) After watching him over these years, it's just like he can't help himself. Um, so in this particular case, he, I mean, I think he really stuck his foot in the mouth. Um, there, yep. he, he, I don't think he got any political benefits from raging against his own party and riling up Pelosi um, on what is obviously, you know, a very delicate and divisive issue. Um, and, you know, when I saw, when I, when I saw him, when I saw him make those statements, I was just, was, I was just scratching my head and thinking, well, you know, why is he doing this? There's really... There's really no upside for him to be to be saying this. So that's why I say, you know, Gavin's being Gavin. And, you know, Bill, I looked at his, um, you know, I looked at his wish list in terms of the budget regarding abortion in California. Um, and one of the one of the items was increasing spending for low income women to have abortions by 40 million. I, uh, and just putting aside the political issues associated with abortion and how people personally feel about this, um, I don't think there's a I don't think there's any shortage um, of funding for low income women to get abortions. It might refer to uh, what it would, what it would refer to is only those in California who would be um, undocumented immigrants. Um, virtually everyone else, uh, virtually. 90 plus percent of Californians are now covered um, with the exception of those who are undocumented. Um, so that's another political hot potato. But, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, not to get into this in too much detail, but in terms of the issue, I went ahead and looked at some numbers. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it seems like a really easy way uh, or really, a really logical way to address this is to provide wide-scale access uh, to emergency contraception, such as the morning-after pill, and there's 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 many more uh, more many more products that are available that can be used within uh, within five days of possible conception, um, and you know, ten million dollars spent on that I think would go an awful long ways towards these issues as opposed to spending billions on what he calls culturally and socially relevant uh, education. Well, two thirds of women uh, in childbearing years are on some form of uh, contraception. Um, About half of abortions occur quickly 
when women have gone off of contraception. So I think some education would be relevant. And I think making access um, to morning after products and so forth would be an easy way to deal with a lot of this. Um, but, you know, why he's opening himself up to a, a situation that's really not that bill, as you point out, is not going to play well nationally. Um, again, it's just, you know, it's Gavin being Gavin. Well, but, again, it's, but again, it's California, Lee, and when in doubt, virtue signal. And that's fine if you're the governor and you're in Sacramento. But if you're the Speaker of the House or the Senate Majority Leader, you virtue signaling does not get you votes. And you have to ultimately compromise and try to crack heads. And it's just it's a world he's not familiar with. So maybe maybe he needs to run for the Senate in 2024, assuming Dianne Feinstein doesn't run for re-election and go to Washington to see it for himself firsthand as to, as to how the place works. But uh, Again, I'm just stuck by how he he gets his headlines and it's great, but he picks a fight with Nancy Pelosi. Maybe not such a good move, but just the idea that this governor would be welcome, especially, and I'm talking red states and purple states where, you know, it's a close race and Democrat is challenged keeping distance from the administration, but also, you know, going against the National Party's image. Gavin's kind of an AOC in this regard, and just he's he's a lightning rod. And yeah. again, he might he might be an interesting candidate in 2024, and we could talk about that in another podcast. But uh, he's just you know, in terms of being a general election candidate, in terms of being a guy who can get a majority of electoral votes, given the way he runs California, it's not going to work. And again, he needs to understand that in a lot of parts of the country, California is a pejorative. <laughs> it's it's a it's yeah, a bad word. I mean, half the time when I see him speak, I think he just has no clue yeah. about how off-putting uh, his statements are to many yeah. in the rest of the country. I just, I, mean, I just think he has absolutely no clue whatsoever. I mean, keep in mind, Lee, when when uh, Greg Abbott was running for re-election in uh, Texas in 2018, he's now running for a third term. Uh, he came up with the phrase, "Don't California my Texas," and yeah. voters in Texas understood exactly what he was saying. When Ron DeSantis got into a fight with Disney over Orlando, uh, one of the first words that came out of his mouth were lawyers in California. And that's not a reflection on where the return address is for Walt Disney. It's a reflection on California, plain and simple. And so the governor is the head of California. He carries, he has the big C on his chest, not just for captain, but for California. And, you know, that's just, again, in some parts of the country, just it's not a very welcome word. No, it's not. And when I think about his national prospects, I mean, it, the idea of being a presidential candidate, in my opinion, at least right now, I think he would be he would play very, very poorly. So I agree with you. If he's looking at the national scene, it would be as a, a senator. Um, I just don't think he I just don't think he has a, has a clue as to what it would take to be a uh, convincing presidential. Candidate. Of course, keep, keep in mind one thing, though, Lee, if uh, the economy in California does start to get very messy and we see a problem with revenue going into Sacramento, uh, as much as the governor would love to go around in 2023 and give lectures on the failures of the Democratic Party, he's going to have to be in Sacramento fixing a budget. Yeah. You know, the idea that the governor would govern, you know, <laughs> there's a hey, there's an idea. Yeah. Well, this has been very interesting and timely analysis, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jonathan Lee. Thanks, gentlemen. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, the Hoover Institution podcast devoted governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might hear it. And if you don't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bill Whalen is on Twitter. His handle is at Bill Whalen C-A. And Leo Hanian is also on Twitter. His and his handle is at Lee underscore O'Hanian. Please visit the Hoover website at hoover.org and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, where you can access the latest scholarship and analysis from Hoover Fellows. 
Also check out California On Your Mind, where Bill Whalen and Leo Haney write every week. Again, this is Jonathan Mavroides sitting in the Bill Whalen's chair this week. He'll be back for another episode of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.